0: Welcome, episode one hundred and thirty-five podcast podrood. My name is, is Russell, and uh, this mess is uh, Taylor, Davis, and Barton. How are you guys, UK? You okay?
1: I'm good, mate. How are you?
0: Yeah, it's been a while. Been a while. I know you're busy educating the next generation. Done a strong <laughs> job, I'm sure. <laughs> Bye. Hugh Davis is with us again. How are you, Hugh, UK? You okay?
2: Yeah, all right. Thank you. I'm doing the very important job of trying to work out how to mute WhatsApp so you don't get annoying message noises the whole week.
0: <laughs> and we will let you mention your US players' stats that, you, <laughs> that you've worked very hard to bring to the party, and who I I hope actually I imagine is still. Walking around Innsbruck with his chest puffed out, uh, like a, a, a Billy Big Bollocks. It's uh, it's Leon Par. Now you right. see.
3: Um, okay, my wife is trying to tell me something, though. I, I, I'm just like, shh. We're doing recording the podcast, it's obviously really important to her. Do we want a bit of domestic stuff in this podcast? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all, of our, all of our groceries are lying outside. On the fridge in the kitchen. Yeah, What's your It's only just finished. Dishwashers just finished.
0: And it's a welcome to you, Hannah, as well. Um <laughs> She may have to stand in while you go and finish your your chores.
1: No, right. no, no, I'll
3: do it after, after the podcast.
1: Let's try and keep it professional. Literally, dozens of people are going to listen to this.
0: <laughs> it's a Monday evening, so it's almost a week since the Czech game. I think a lot of what has probably been said about it, has been said, but um, if for no other reason than it was Wayne Hennessy's 100th cap, it's probably worth touching on. Put a tweet out, didn't you, not long after the game, maybe, was it, maybe the next day or within 48 hours of it, Leon. But I think it's an interesting discussion point as well. But given that all the, the heavy lifting of the window had been done a few days earlier, it was a really quite sort of chilled, relaxed, important as well in terms of what the game was in aid of with respect to you know the relief and refugee effort for, for Ukraine. But apart from that kind of point, it was fairly kind of relaxed evening really quite an enjoyable game a second string i playing really really well against what's a fairly decent czech side guys yeah
1: well i mean they had a lot of players uh missing and left out as well you'd recognize one or two names when you see czech was in there for example but look it's not a bad result is it one all against the czech republic with a second string you know we'd have we'd have taken that years ago but it, it did feel a bit more like a sort of you know, be international. I think sometimes with a game like that, where it's it's completely the second string, I wonder how much you learn about the players playing at international level, you know, against potentially better opposition. I feel like when, if any of those players come in and play alongside, you know, Joe Allen or Roden or Bale or Ramsey, fine, we learn something about how they can adapt to that particular game. But I don't know, I think, where they're all in together and... and best first team players aren't there you know it, it just maybe exposes the limitations of some of them a little bit as well i think maybe there were a uh, for all there were some bright sparks brennan johnson for example there were a few who probably didn't do too much to uh impress i mean you could go through cabango reese norrington davis even sorba thomas uh, volks players who i think maybe underperformed i thought i don't know maybe that's unfair
0: Case for the defence, Hugh.
2: Well, I thought Norrington Davis had a good game. I, I do see what you mean about limitations, because you can kind of see how different in quality he is to say Nico Williams. Um, but I thought he had a good game. I think was it you, Russ, who said he's very, um, uh, very vertical or very two dimensional or something. Kind of he doesn't doesn't really come inside much. He's very up and down the line. Linear, you sort of described him. Yeah. Linear. Thank you. Yeah, much much better. But no, I liked it, and I thought. Um, I mean, Volks hit the post twice. Like That's got to be worth a mention. But I do kind of wonder if he's not quite as solid a player in a midfield two as you'd like. But yeah, Sorba wasn't quite at his best and our defence was worrying, I'd say. That's one where I would agree with you, actually, where you learn much more about a defender, say someone like Cabango, if he's playing alongside the people he would be playing alongside. Like if you've got kind of, um, you know, a very... Mix, mix and match defence, then yeah, you don't necessarily learn about anything at all, anything about any of them. But I thought in attack and midfield, we, we saw bits and bobs that we can use going forward. No, no
1: <laughs> Maybe a bit harsh, harsh on Reece Norrin, and Davis. He, he grew into the game and actually, you know, I thought one of the sort of downsides was the lack of a sort of attacking threat from the wing backs, which I guess if you're comparing to Connor Robertson and, and Nico Williams is going to be, you know, stark. But... You know, I suppose he actually more than Sauber Thomas, you know, well, certainly in the first half, did get down a little bit. But I just thought in the early stages of the game, you know, he got, he got caught in possession in the first five minutes, uh, gave away a ball again a couple of minutes later. You know, he'd left someone in acres on the right-hand side, which leads to the chance that sort of Hennessy had to save the header in about a quarter of an hour. So, I don't know. I just thought we looked, in those early moments of the game, some of those players looked quite exposed, you know, by comparison with what we'd seen a few days earlier, but then you know, you'd expect that, I suppose, to a degree, wouldn't you? Yeah, the second half was so much better,
2: anyway. Like, the, yes, yes so much better, true. yeah.
3: And to be fair, I, d- I didn't think we started the Austria game very well either. You know, it was slow starts in both games, and we sort of grew into it. You know, in both cases, it was a, 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 the goal sort of seemed to give us confidence. So, um, I feel more positive than Gaz about. That Czech Republic game because spare in mind that about a year ago I think it was that our our sort of second string team beat Mexico and I think it was the first time we ever beaten Mexico and then B team has just drawn with the Czech Republic and I you know I know they had players missing and. And they just you know come off the back of um, getting knocked out of the World Cup qualification, but you know still the Czech Republic, they're they're a decent footballing nation with a decent pedigree. You know if if we kind of count the Czechoslovakia as well, they have won the European Championship. They've been you know Czech Republic in in a European Championship final, and I know it's not a great great Czech side by their standards, but I think it's worth giving our players some credit for the result, if nothing else. Yeah, I,
1: I don't I don't just dis- I don't disagree with that. I, I don't. To be honest, I don't want to come across overly negative because, you know, for a second string team to get that result, I think is pretty good. It just, I don't know, I just felt a little bit like years back, say in a sort of toss years when we'd get loads of sort of pull-outs and we'd, we'd have a team. I mean, look at that team, for example. There's one Premier League player who's a sub-goalkeeper. Even more of the championship players sit on the bench at their clubs more often than play. So it was, you know, a... a a pretty sort of limited team by comparison with some of our first choice players. And that result therefore is good. But in the old days we'd play a team like that because they were the only players left available after the 12 pullouts. Now we're playing a team like that because well, circumstances of course, and I think it was still worth worth having the game. But I think when you play it because you're sort of resting everybody else and you stick that sort of B team in together, I just don't know how much you learn from it. I'd have rather have seen, <laughs> sorry, seen, Brennan Johnson, or even Colwell, or Matondo, sort of, you know, oh, Moran and Vokes, what a difference to play next to Joe Allen is to play next to each other. I mean, they were, you know, stopping possession in a way that sort of, I guess you'd expect from <laughs> limited championship players or even League One players playing against the Czech Republic. So I'd rather, if we're going to use friendlies, and, and I'll make an exception for this one because of the purpose of raising the money and whatever else, but I don't know how much it told us about any of those players going into a potential World Cup. See, one thing I thought
2: we did learn about is the one thing that was interesting is that the goal, the Welsh goal, kind of showed in microcosm a lot about three forwards in particular because it kind of showed like, yeah, we know about Johnson's kind of pace and running and we know about Cole's ability to kind of produce a great moment having not done much up to then as he often does for Cardiff. But um, also Matondo's movement for the goal not being great, like it didn't come away from the far post until it was too late. And that's why... Johnson and Cole have shown the composure. Johnson's thrown the right pass and Cole's found the excellent finish, while Matondo hasn't. So I felt like even in that goal we learnt a bit about them, but then I suppose you could argue that stuff we knew already. I do agree with the other defence though. Yeah.
1: I think that's that's a good point uh, Hugh makes, but if you, if you look at it, I'd have said before that game, we know Johnson's going to be a star, we know Colwell's talented but pretty raw, and we know that Matondo has still got quite a bit to prove, notwithstanding quite a good season in Belgium. And At the end of that game, I felt exactly the same about those three players, you know, which I I guess is is, is kind of what you're saying. So putting those players in, maybe with, you know, a Ramsey or a Bale around them a little bit, um, you know, Joe Allen maybe sort of behind them might have told us a little bit more about how well equipped they might be in a sort of more competitive environment. I guess we'll find
2: out in June. he
1: got five games.
2: Well, to yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 In the space of a week. Yeah, now.
3: yeah. I mean, I, I just was going to ask you because Hugh's been such a, a cheerleader for, for Brendan Johnson. I mean, we, we all have, really, because we, we can all see what a, what a talent he is. I think you said something like, Johnson has to start in the World Cup playoff. I mean, uh, does that mean you'd you'd pick him ahead of Dan James?
2: It's a good point. I mean, I think... I probably said it in a moment of watching him play brilliantly and thinking, "My God, how are we not getting this guy in our team?" But it did come with the whole tactical battle then of, well, "Where's he going? Because he's not going to play up front in the two. So then, are we going to manage our formation around him? No, it's not really going to work. So if we're going to play the five-three-two we're doing at the moment, then no, he doesn't start, which is galling. But you know, the system should almost always trump the individuals. So essentially, if we're if we're playing a front three, he must start. If we're playing a front two, no, I don't think he does that's not Michael but he'd,
0: he'd also have to work as hard as Dan James does in yeah Dan James defense is that first line as well which he does well and we you know we, we rich and I called that out in the last episode mm. people are only going to remember the misses aren't they clearly that's just kind of that's just how it is goals with matches of course and when you you know he leaves chances out there then people are going to get on his back a bit but uh, you know he worked really really hard that night there was not much left in his tank when he when he came off the pitch but, uh, yeah it would be interesting to see if Jen if Johnson's got the the work rate to be able to do that, and then when you're busting the gut in that, as that first line of defence, and then there's a chance, you know, the ball over the top for him to run into. Can he switch from it? I have no doubt that you probably can, because he's clearly a hell of a player. But Dan James is doing that, and has been doing that really, really well for us overall.
3: I thought uh, Dan James played well against Austria. I didn't, I didn't uh, get a chance to, to say that in my uh, voicemail monologue that I sent in, but I, 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 he'd, been, he'd been getting some stick because of not finishing those those two chances. But he was the one whose pace sort of created those chances. And um, I'd really like him in the team in terms of the amount of work he does and his defensive diligence as well. It's, re- it's really impressive. And it al- sort of allows Nico Williams to get forward down that left-hand side as well. He's one of the first names on the team sheet for me. So.
1: 100% on that. And you make made a good point about Nico Williams, Leon, because as Nico Williams has kind of come into the team, Dan James's role as sort of one of those front two is evolving a little bit. He would still find himself trying to make plays out on the left a lot, go back a year or so ago. But he's playing much more in the sort of way his his career's going at Leeds, isn't he, as a sort of on the shoulder of the last defender. And and okay, maybe composure in those moments where he's one-on-one or whatever is still a bit of his game that he needs to work on. Same when you talk about his crossing and he gets into wide areas. But the fact is, he's in and making those runs. He's learning to play as that striker. You And he'll, he'll only get better
0: so um, Hennessy, uh, obviously playing both games, third male player to get to a century. I thought he was probably at one point likely to be the first, and um, got a bit bogged down, didn't he, in the uh, in the nervous nineties. Really great honour for him, a uh, bit of a fuss made before the game as well. And he and he did well over the over the course of the window. I thought he couldn't really had, he couldn't really do much with the either of the goals. I don't think um, that he conceded, and I thought he did well in sort of distribution and. Uh, and things like that.
2: I thought he was, um, hes still alarmingly slow off his line. And I say slow, I mean more like hesitant. Like that Austria had a really good ch- um, chance uh, when, um, I can't remember what opportunity it was, but he was very slow off it. So that still worries me. But yeah, his shot stopping is still as good as it ever was, really. Mm. He, he does put out those great saves and um, they've helped us in time to time. So yeah, I feel about it. He, he didn't get as much of a fuss made as guns to bail for obvious reasons so but um he got a lovely glove he got that glove didn't he and nev handed him that kind of what was it a golden glove kind of thing which was well, nice. i thought it was the cap wasn't
0: it well maybe it was I a glove i gave
2: him a glove as well it
3: was like a, some sort of a trophy with uh goalkeeping gloves that's which, right yeah uh, yeah which is cool yeah it was nice to get neville self all involved
0: yeah absolutely and i pretty but i'm pretty sure i saw him with his golden cap as well
2: We've got got a wait now, hasn't it? Because it was buses, three centurions in relatively quick succession. But I'm just having a look now. And um, Ramsey's not got as many as I thought he had, actually, because of injuries and such. He's in the 72. So actually, we've got quite a while now. Yeah, mm. I
3: think it's uh, Joe Allen's on 70 and Ben Davis is on 70 as well. So I, th- I think of those three, it's probably only Ben Davis who's likely to get 100 as well. I can't see...
2: Yeah, that's a good
1: point. Yeah, I, I can't see
3: another 30 caps from, from from Allen or Ramsey, actually. Maybe 20 at most, but Davis will get there.
1: Could be a bit of a race to sort of set a record now. You know, couldn't it? You can't imagine Gunter getting a huge number more, but if we have a few more friendly like that, he may well do. Bale, you know, we don't know how much longer he's gonna play. I think it's worth saying that Hennessy is not done as potentially our first choice goalkeeper. I think that um rightly Danny Ward had that chance and came into the team and and, and kept his place in the team. But I feel like almost there'd been this sort of clam or if it can count as a clamour for a long for a long time, you know, because Danny Ward had had that sort of really successful early part of his career. But You know, it's worth facing the reality that what we've got now is two goalkeepers who are sub goalkeepers who we can't really make much judgments about through their club careers, unless one or other of them were to start playing more regularly. Therefore, you're only really as good as your last game in a Wales shirt, you know. And if you get injured and and if Ward gets injured and Hennessy comes in as a a couple of good games, as I think he did, notwithstanding the the valid point Hugh makes about him, you know, his his hesitancy when sort of coming out. I think he's got every reason to sort of ask the question. Well, why does why or if Ward should sort of automatically w- walk back into the the team? I've always felt that Hennessy's someone who doesn't get the credit he deserves um, for his what he's done. Quite yeah, I agree well. with that. And I see no reason why Ward automatically comes back in for the game in game or games in June on the back of. Uh, what i thought were a couple of pretty decent performances
2: so i agree he doesn't get the the credit he deserves including in the premier League. but i i would still say ward especially with the euro's performances in which um for three games especially he was just i mean he was probably our best player at the tournament certainly in the group stage so i'd say and i I also just think that everything down to technically to uh, pace to pass just everything i think he's just a better keeper but i do take one i I, hennessy's been not unfairly treated that we can be too far, but yeah, he, he deserves a bit more respect than he's given. I agree with that. And um, it's good to know that, as I think Russ said on the other podcast about Baird and Ramsey, like these players can come in without having played club football and still put in a good performance. And that is very useful. Regarding what you said earlier about like setting a record as well, like Gunter's up to 107 now. And we, we thought for a little while, like he might not get to 100. I think he's going to get to 100.
0: I was going to say that in reply to Gaz. I think we've been saying for pretty much those seven or eight caps. Well, he's not going to win that many more, and he just keeps churning them out, really. So, but I, I think he made the goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, but I, I, I don't, I don't disagree with the, the overall kind of point. I'm to you know the, his trajectory is kind of is more out of the squad than than staying in it. But I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't. You know, assuming we get there, and we'll come to the World Cup draw in a bit um I think he would still go
3: just on hennessy can I just say Russ uh, uh yeah I mean just to pay a bit of tribute to him because uh, we did it with with Gunter and Bale um, I think he's been a really really good player for us and um I go back to the Bosnia game in 2014 as probably my favorite Wayne Hennessy game for Wales uh, the 0-0 draw because that was second game after the um, the dodgy win over Andorra and it was I thought it was really important uh, let's start that qualifying group, if we were actually going to qualify, which we did, obviously, though we stayed unbeaten at the, at the start and, stick, and kept it really tight. We were without Ramsey and Allen for that game, and uh, we were under the cosh for quite a lot of it. You know, Dzeko, Pjanic, you know, were both in sort of top form at the time, and he made some really, really good saves in that game to, to, to keep a clean sheet. It was a really, really exciting game. We some, it's one of those, like, really tense, nil-nil draws where you kind of you come away from it thinking yeah you know we're, we're there's something kind of good happening here because we're, we're kind of battling it battling it out and we're actually kind of grinding out something where in games where we're second best for long periods and hennessy was key to that clean sheet so i'll always i think i'll always think of of uh of, of that game and and and, and hungry game as well the two nil to to qualify for for euro 2020 where he pulled off that absolutely fantastic double save so uh he's been a he's been a great servant to, to Welsh football
0: yeah yeah i think he's right Hugh i don't know whether you might know this i think he still holds the record doesn't he in the football league for the most successive clean sheets is it from league debut something like that oh i don't know that actually That's a good. Yeah, time, so. there's, there's the, it's, it's when he went on loan to Stockport and i don't think he he didn't concede a goal for like i think it's like nine games or
3: something of his 100 caps as well, I think he's kept 41 clean sheets, I'm pretty sure, which is quite something, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's
3: I heard that, nice that
2: the other day. That's amazing. Yeah, as for, for what certainly, that is. Yeah. I mean, like, historically. 41 yeah. of 100. That is
1: fantastic. If you consider some of the early games in his early career as well, that you know that speaks a lot to how solid we've been in since, what, 2014, 2015, because there can't have been a huge number of clean sheets in some of his his early years. You know, he was our goalkeeper through, well, most of the Toshak years, the early Coleman years when we were taking some drubbins, weren't we? That is pretty impressive when you factor all those things in.
0: I think it was his sixth or seventh cap was out in Germany. That was nil-nil. And he, he, he played really, really well that night. And it wasn't just like the saves he was making. It was just the presence that he had. And he would have been, what? Nineteen, maybe at that point.
3: Bulgaria is another one I remember as well. When Freddie Eastwood scored, he made some absolutely like, fantastic saves that night. That must have only been about his second or third cap, maybe.
2: Yeah, that was yeah. that was a
3: so, fantastic game from him.
2: Also, he missed he missed a good year and a half through injury. Was it like he was out for so? Cause he, I don't know if it was a broken leg, but he he became a proper number one in the Premier yeah, yeah. League, and then yeah. you know, did his kind of It was cruciate, was it? Yeah, because I mean, I I know he missed definitely a whole season. I thought maybe about no, he did.
0: He did. He 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 did his cruciate, and I think it was like in one knee. Got fit, eventually, came back, and I think within a couple of weeks, I think he did. I think it was the other knee. I'm not sure whether it was a cruciate, but it was another serious knee injury. So he did practically miss like two full seasons as well. Something ridiculous like that.
2: Wolves went down in those seasons as well. I think he got
0: injured when they were in the Premier League. When he got fit, they were League One.
2: Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he went up on loan to Yeovil, didn't he? But, um, but so the fact that he's got 100 caps on the back of missing a year and a half through injury as well, extraordinary.
0: So yeah, so congratulations, Wayne Hennessy, here's to many more caps. Big Nev said something around uh, some of the lines of um, he thinks he could get to 150, and I thought, well, actually, let's have a look at let's have a look at how <laughs> how, how, how long it's taken the last 50 to come, and I've worked out that he'd have to still be playing until he's 42. It's taken him about seven years to get from 50 to 100 and he did sort of slow down a bit as I said in the in the, in the 90s I think that's a big ask Nev to be fair
3: I think with will never sell for and i I really love this about him actually he's he's quite an optimistic sort of person he's sort of like we should why not aim for this he's always been like this why not oh, aim yeah, for this? Why yeah. Not aim for which is which is perfectly valid I think you know like why shouldn't he aim for 150 goalkeepers play longer he doesn't carry any weight Hennessy, unlike Nev <laughs> he's, you know, he's, uh, you know, something to aim for, isn't it? It's like you were talking about Gareth Bale couldn't get to 50 goals with Rich. Well, you know, it's like maybe not, but it's something to, to, to aim for, isn't it? You know, a lot of players do like setting those sort of personal goals and it helps motivate them. So,
2: yeah. You've got you've got me wondering now as well, which of our current squad looks most <laughs> like it used to be a bit, man. <laughs> Like, I'm not entirely sure. I kind of possibly think Dan James is a kind of apprentice, <laughs> like Tabard, too big for him. <laughs>
3: we snoring to Davis, so.
2: yeah.
1: I was gonna say, I found the Hennessy's Football League uh, clean sheet stats if you want it. Oof, then. Um, well you were right, it, it was nine games, oh yes, 2000, 2007. Stockport broke a 119-year-old record for nine consecutive clean sheets. These were Wayne Hennessy's first nine and a half games of competitive club football before he finally conceded a goal against Barnet. Of course, you'll all know the scorer, Oliver Allen of Barnet. Yeah. <laughs> 2007. You know me, me neither.
2: Was he there at the same time as Ash, as Ashley Williams?
3: Yes, yeah. Uh, the story with uh, how Ash came to play for Wales is that Brian Flynn went to watch Hennessy because he was an under twenty one player at the time and see how he was getting it on on loan at Stockport and noticed that Stockport had a defender with a Welsh name who looked pretty good, so just decided to put in an inquiry with um, Peter Ward, Wrexham legend, who was Stockport's assistant manager at the time to ask Ashley Williams if he had any Welsh parents or grandparents. And word came back that he had a Welsh grandmother, I think. So the, the, nothing to do with the Williams name. Um, it was just a mad sort of coincidence. And then Flynn told Toshak to go and look at this 23-year-old centre-half at Stockport and he called him up into the squad. So yeah, Ashley Williams was part of that clean sheet.
2: Yeah, sh- not probably not a coincidence, that. Williams and Hennessy, and then look where they were ten years later. I was just
0: checking as well. I think I saw Wayne Hennessy's under twenty one debut, uh, let alone his, uh, his full international debut. Out at the. All right, Russ. I know, right. I know, but we'll I know, but I, no, but I met his dad. I, met, I, I I sat next to his dad on the, the bus from the airport.
3: Would that be Terry Hennessy's brother then? Like, I'm not sure so cause he keeps saying cousin. His don't brother. They, no, is, isn't Terry Hennessy his own? No, he
0: says this is. He keeps saying it's his cousin. I keep reading. All oh, right but I suppose it could oh, be I kind think. of like second cousin or something.
3: Because I thought, I always thought he was his uncle, so it's like... Uh, okay, no, maybe not. Right. He's 80. Well, that's the thing. It's quite an yeah, age Yeah, quite a it, bit but... older than... Yeah,
0: quite a bit yeah. older than Wayne. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, so um, Wales won 4-0 that day, I seem to remember. The Oval in Glentoran. Anyway, Anyway, um, so yeah, as I say, congratulations to uh, Wayne Hensie. Anything else to say about that game before I invite... Leon to pose uh, a topic of, of discussion I think's worth worth having
1: a little um a little mention for Chris Mapp, maybe I know I said that maybe yeah, yeah. Uh, there weren't, wasn't too much to i thought, I thought he had a decent game yeah. I thought um given that we've been a little bit uncertain about him, even alongside Roden and Davis, I thought he had a pretty decent performance, given that Kabango on his left was sort of struggling a little bit you know. I thought he looked pretty commanding for the most part and certainly enough to suggest that probably he needs to move out of Bournemouth. I think there's a defender who presumably walks into most championship teams. He's still only 24, you know, there's is, 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 is a lot of career ahead of him. And I I think it's a time now where we want to see him playing some first-team football on a regular basis and really sort of trying to kick-start his career again because I think to have that option to play Ampadu in midfield probably requires Mepham to be a reliable option in that back three. And there were signs, I thought, against the Czech Republic that maybe, you know, he still is there.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I thought he he had a good game. He was the one who was organising everything at the back um, until Roden came on. Um, Yeah, And I thought he did. I thought he did well. And I think I would agree with that overall assessment. I mean, when he signed for Bournemouth, he was a £12 million championship defender. You know, notwithstanding, you know, contracts probably got less time on it now and all the rest of it. But... He's nowhere near that now, is he?
3: That could be the problem. Maybe Bournemouth, they paid a lot of money for him and, and, you know, they wouldn't get that kind of money if they were to sell him. So maybe they would just think, well, maybe we'll just keep him and he might be useful for us again at some point in future because, you know, I can't imagine a club offering more than five million from this particular point and would Bournemouth want to take a seven million
2: pound hit? Yeah, I think he'd probably go for but yeah, it wouldn't be more than. I he could end up becoming one of
0: those players who has got a lot of promotions to the Premier League on his CV, but maybe never quite nails a position at a, at a club in the Premier League. And I'm trying to think of somebody, and I can't. My mind has gone blank. But you know, the sort of
3: Nathan Blake got promoted, I think four or five times. Yeah, something like that. Only because he
0: tended to get relegated the season before. Cause I think he's got, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. The, uh, yeah, um, do I, do I get, yeah the, the, there are certain players. I guess which I, I can't think of any. Oh, maybe that's a, maybe that's a task I should set myself. Um, but yeah,
2: the other AOB I wanted to mention before we moved on was um, just Cole Will's uh, little snapshot of an interview after the Czech game, uh, introducing Meep Meep. Just checking everyone saw that because I've I've seen someone write that before. Ian Magatho, who writes for an Athletic, and I just love that that's now parlance because it was in Welsh as well, which I love. It was a, a, a fully Welsh. Uh, it was too fast to always keep up with because I'm learning, but I could only I had to kind of he, he was going. He was speaking so quickly, but um, essentially, and it was the kind of Welsh equivalent of um, guns has put Brennan and meat uh, meat. He just went through on the inside. Yeah, <laughs> just, I, I love that. Any reference <laughs> to <worry about.
0: laughs> Roadrunners, a, a cultural kind of reference from our youth, let alone. Reuben Colwell. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, silly question. Is, is Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner still a cartoon on TV?
2: I don't think it is. I, think, I don't think it's one of the ones that's been yeah. remade. I like the idea that maybe he was going to say that, like, um, Oranunu wed the uh, like, Keystone Cops yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, because sort of, yeah. some that hasn't been on TV since the 1940s. But given Brennan
0: Johnson's first World Cup he remembers is 2010, <laughs> I just thought it seemed a strange cultural reference, unless it, it must have outgrown. It's cartoons. parameters, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> any other AOB? Otherwise, we'll let Leon have the floor. <laughs>
3: All right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how how interesting this is for anyone else, but anyway, I, I put out sort of picked it up. Between... Between... <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> but, yeah. It just felt interesting to me because I've got I've got a bunch of like shoot and match magazines from the from the early nineties here at home, which I picked up from my parents' place when I was last there, actually, <laughs> just three years ago, because of the. The pandemic. It's interesting, like in the early nineties, like Welsh players were some of the biggest sort of stars of the English top flight. I'm sort of, you know, talking pre Premier League as well, like the first division. So you'd have like Dean Saunders on the cover. Giggs obviously was a huge star. Marquise one Player of the Year twice. Ian Rush was a, a superstar. Neville Southall too. And and um, I just thought after I think it might have been before the Czech Republic game. I was just thinking like. It's bizarre. There's this real disconnect, it seems, now between um the English top flight and Welsh international football. You know, probably arguably our four best, most popular players don't play in the English top flight in terms of Bale uh Ramsey, Allen and Amperdue. You know, Ben Davies Davis could maybe argue about that point. But um only three of the players who played against austria kind of actually play regularly in the premier league and that's uh that's davis and, and uh, dan james and connor roberts who's just sort of forced his way in at burnley and then and then against the czech republic we got this draw with a team with like no players who actually play in the premier league you know hennessy's in the premier league but he doesn't play and it's all it's championship players and people you know, like uh, matondo's case someone who plays in belgium and I was just thinking, probably, there's probably never been a sort of disconnect between the English top flight and Welsh international football. It feels kind of like when I go on the BBC website or whatever, or occasionally watch Match of the Day, it feels like it exists in a sort of different sphere to Welsh international football, almost, if that makes any sense. I and mean, it's like this kind of, you know, this it's this obsession with, you know, Harry Maguire's form and how Mosella's doing this season. It's just, it just doesn't seem to have anything to do with Welsh international football, whereas 30 years ago it did. I don't know, does that make any sense to anyone? It's very disconnected.
0: Quickly though, it sounds like you're sitting in your orangery with your Avery.
3: Oh, so, you yeah, know that's our that's, the, that's, the back, that's our new back. clock. Which, uh, bird noises on the hour, which is really oh, right, loud. Okay. And I'm still getting used to it. Yeah,
0: I just thought you were relaxing in the orangery <laughs> or something. <laughs> Did you <live> in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to make it even sound more alpine.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Surround- I'm just surrounded by cuckoo clocks. Yeah, here. I think
0: it's an, an interesting. I think it is an interesting point, and I know the kind of the the. the uh, the, I don't say it's lazy because I think that's unfair because I think it's actually quite a bit in it but the, the kind of the obvious answer is to say oh well that's because there's more foreign talent in the game in England and so it's pushed talent down the league and there's probably something in that but I don't know. I think I think there's something around that bubble. Then I, I, like.
3: well, I also think that young players now, and not just Welsh but English as well. If you look at um, Bellingham, for instance, or Sam, Sancho, the way that they went abroad, they're more prepared to go go abroad, even if it's not to like a Barcelona like Hughes did, or to Juventus like Rush did, to the very, very, very top clubs, sort of thing, as established stars. So you have got like. Ampadu's had two really interesting loan spells in terms of going out to um, Leipzig and now to Venezia, and, and Matondo's obviously played for a few, a couple of clubs abroad and, and, and they're prepared to go out to that sort of lower level club and uh, maybe it's something to do with sort of the way that younger people are perhaps less parochial and younger footballers are less parochial than they were in the past. You have more knowledge of other leagues. and. I would say that the amount of foreign players in the Premier League is, is a part of it as well because it does sort of push push uh, push talent
2: down. In your memory, just because like I know the players, but not where they were necessarily at each time. You talk about kind of like early mid '90s kind of era. What kind of of a Wales eleven at any one time? How many of those were in the either Premier League or, or first division? because well, I mean you mentioned yeah. the stars of Rush and Hughes and stuff, but um, and there were others, of course, because. Even especially with Swindler at the Premier League, but I don't know. I'd be interested to know looking it up because I know the players again, but not what they were.
3: Well, I wouldn't go for. I mean, I'm not going for the whole team, but like you know, Dave Phillips would would have been at Coventry and Nottingham Forest when they were at Premier League. Blackmore was at Man United. Okay, he wasn't always a regular, but you know he was in the Premier League. Um oh, Mark Bowen, Nicholas, yeah, Mark Bowen at Norwich, Barry Hall, so, Mark Pembridge. Yeah, okay. Um,
0: parts and was
2: coming through.
3: Yeah, it was sort of nine out, nine or ten out of the ele- of a starting eleven would have been Premier League players. I think for most of the nineties. That's nine
2: interesting.
1: It's interesting of, that we're better
3: think, now, yeah, than, than being we're better
1: now, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, on that again, risk being the voice of negativity here, but um, our most successful teams have tended to have more than average sort of top division players in them, so that. Mark Hughes' team, where we had Hearts and Bellamy, Giggs, Savage. Um, you know, most of the speed, most of the team bar, sort of, um, Page and Gabbard, and who was still pretty lower down in the leagues at that time, were, were top division players. That sort of late 80s, early 90s teams tended to have a lot. But for the most part, actually, since about the mid-90s, I would say most of the time, our team and certainly our squad has been heavily reliant on at least second tier and often third tier players. Now, on the one hand, I think, and I think it probably is the lesser of the issues, but it is the, the, the sort of more positive of the issues is that yeah, we've got the likes of Ampadu and Matondo who are prepared to go and try and forge a career for themselves elsewhere, which is far better than what's tending to happen for a lot of young players. Welsh or otherwise, is that they get sort of hoarded in under-23 sort of setups at, at, at big clubs. However, if we look at that team this week where we're drawing on players who play in league one or who are sat on the bench in the championship, it does maybe suggest that even though we've got a very strong first 11 at the moment and bear in mind, that's got a fair few players now in their thirties, perhaps if we look five or six or seven years down the line, actually the sort of depth of our squad and the sort of players we've got coming through to sort of be the airs to, certainly players in the in the defence and the sort of base of the midfield and maybe not quite to the level we would want them to be maybe we should be careful not to say too much and then find ourselves in you know one of those generations of players where actually where we haven't got too many you know players playing their game at the very top level be that in England or anywhere don't get me wrong i
3: would prefer it if we had 20 players playing week in week out in the premier league it would be it would be beneficial for us i would much prefer that it's just it's just it just i just found it interesting because for years and years I, I remember pundits saying you know the reason why we're failing is we haven't got enough players playing in the premier league week in week out and and that's what we need and that's and once that happens we'll you know then we'll be all right. And it's like, well, actually, no, because at the moment we haven't got, we've got a handful of players playing in the Premier League and yet we're we're, we're 18th in the world. We're one game from a World Cup. So is it, is it really to be all and end all like we were told it was for years?
2: Well, as you said, it's because there's a disconnect, isn't there? Essentially, at the moment, it doesn't matter where Bale's playing. He's kind of not playing anywhere. It doesn't, I mean, Ramsey's now getting, Ramsey's playing largely to get minutes. um, And of our other players, as you say, there's not a huge difference between kind of top end of the championship, as as in the case of some of our players and bottom end of the Premier League.
1: If we wanted to take a really Wales international sort of centric view of it, we could look at it more optimistically and say, look, you know, Ramsey wants to keep himself fit, so he's gone to play probably at a level below himself in Scotland. Bale, you know, is is more interested in turning up for Wales than he is for, you know, worrying about his club career at, at the minute. You know, Joe Allen's happy to sort of play below his level at Stoke, but, you know, always wants to turn up for Wales. Maybe we've just got a load of players who care more about being fit and available for Wales and, uh, you know, not so, not so fussed about their club career as they get into
3: their 30s yeah which is great because it didn't it didn't certainly wasn't like that with gigs was it <laughs> you know so it so yeah. so that's brilliant <laughs> yeah I, th- I think
0: another point is that probably the gap between the, the second tier in england today and the international t- scene is is probably a lot narrower than it was back in those yeah. days as well and i think you know by the same token you've got a lot of foreign playing talent in the top division you've also got a lot of foreign managers and coaches and directors of football and all the rest of it so you've probably got some good coaches at the championship level who are preparing players in a way that means that they don't have to have quite the jump um, in terms of technique things. I think there's still probably, you know, it still is a gap. But, I mean, you know, you can remember, you know, I remember us watching, you know, watching Bulgaria and Romania and those sorts of teams and the RCS going back to, the, you know, the Czechs. They think they just held on to the ball for, it just felt like... <laughs> 10 minutes a stretch you know and just used to pass it round us whereas I think we've got players who are a little bit more better suited to that to that to that sort of level but as a country as well you know I think you know I've said this before as a country that essentially exports all of its professional talent and, and is in control of very little of it once it's kind of joined a, a club in England or or, or or somewhere else it's actually about the pool of, the, of professional players that we've got and I still think that's really really small but I think it's probably bigger than it was in those days so maybe there's more talent available, even if it's not necessarily concentrated all at the top, at the top level. You know, I don't have any stats to sort of back that up, but I still think it's only about what eighty, seventy, eighty players that Page could actually pick, who are actually professional players. Before you, you know, you're, you're getting into the Cymru prem and the national league and people my age or
1: something. <laughs> I wonder if what maybe Leon's idea there is tapping into also is like a sort of fan thing. The Welsh football team has, has never had, a, you know, certainly in my sort of lifetime, a better fan culture and more positive support around it and more positive feeling amongst fans about what it means to go and watch Wales. Maybe we're just let, maybe your average Welsh fan is just less interested in Premier League football anyway. So, you know, we don't, you know, uh, we don't feel, we as fans don't feel that connection with the Premier League perhaps so much and therefore you know we you know we, we don't we don't sort of view the or otherwise of our players through that prism in quite the same way anymore I'm definitely
0: in that camp
3: yeah I mean I think as Russ said something interesting on Twitter which was maybe this is a reason why people outside of Wales or people who don't really follow the team are surprised when we do well and, and pull off good results and have got this fantastic home record over the past few years is it because our players aren't playing week in, week out in the Premier League, apart from the three that I've mentioned, then they're just not on people's radar. So people haven't heard of them. And they're like, well, how how, how come they're good? You know, if I've never heard of them, it was something like that, wasn't it, Russ?
0: Yeah, I suppose it's the reverse of or the inverse of what you just said then, guys. Whereas you've got a cohort of, of Wales fans who don't care that much about the Premier League and take very little interest in it, or maybe only a passing interest, for those people who live and breathe it and have it rammed down their throat and told it's the greatest league in the world ever then if they don't see players like well even like Brennan Johnson who's probably arguably garnering a lot of headlines but they're not hearing about Chris Mepham and 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 how Nico Williams is doing on loan at Fulham well then if you don't hear about a player then they go they must be pretty rubbish or average at best so i don't know maybe it's that it's that that bubble that that Premier League bubble is is reinforcing uh, um, what's the word an ignorance maybe of what of what yeah. ex- exists outside it I don't know
1: and in one other sort of angle this doesn't really explain a lack of our players in the Premier League but but because we've had such a successful sort of climate around the team and that almost sort of club mentality within the Wales set of going back to the Coleman days we've had quite a sort of unusual era of over overperforming players so players who played our club football at a lower level but perform really, really well for Wales at a much higher level. Uh, and and sort of hand-in-hand hand with that, a kind of cult hero. So if you think about people like Gunter, Johnny Williams, Kiefer Moore, Hal robson Carnu, we've been able to rely on players who aren't going to be the most well-known footballers, certainly in terms of playing Premier League football. But, you know, any Wales fan watching those players, kind of linked similar to the, the point you were just making, Russ, will know what a massive contribution they've made to our our success. So we've had a really good period of being able to get the best out of perhaps more limited players over a sustained period of five or six or seven or eight years and of course yeah. the other
0: very glaring element to all of this or fact it could well be that maybe maybe the talent isn't as stellar as it was in the early 90s for argument's sake they've just been really really well coached and prepared yeah. for games over the last five six years by a succession of coaches
3: but it's not it's not just that i think it's, it's certainly coaching tactics. All that stuff—it it plays a big part. But it's, it's the culture around the team as well. Obviously, it's like, and it's the fact that oh, we yeah. qualified, and there's the belief now because we have qualified, we reach the semi-finals. There's, there's this feeling, well, we, of course, we can do it. We have, we've proved we can do it, and um, uh, yeah, and the fans, the full stadiums, you know, it everything, it all sort of adds up and uh, it means you know, someone like Joe Morrell can come from league one level to looking totally at home on the international stage long may it continue you know
0: and maybe that's a topic to to return to uh, leon because i think it is uh, i think it is interesting point that you that you made just a quick reminder that we now have a patreon page where you can subscribe to any one of four tiers ranging from 2 pound to 10 pound a month there's a range of exclusive content coming your way, as well as some other perks and offers, not least a 10% discount on purchases with exquisitely Wrexham based artist Liam Stokes Massey, aka Pencil Craftsman. Just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash podcast underscore Peldroid. Uh, World Cup draw. Big, big, big asterisk. Should we qualify? It goes with all of this, of course, but. Um, Hang on, hang on. Jermaine Jane asked, before we get into it, what, what, the, what the hell was that all about? It took me about five minutes to work out who. Why did I recognize this this guy? I was kind of watching it on my phone as I was doing tea for the kids, you know, and I thought I recognized his voice. And then it was just like, hang on a minute, it can't be massive kudos to his agent for managing I mean, to pull over out. I mean, I here he were off. a bit
2: kind of, oh, he. Well, in the UK, we're like, oh, he's done quite well for himself. I do kind of wonder how people in, for example, Italy see that because they're just like, who is he? Oh, is he a presenter? Oh, okay, right. No, he played this many Premier League games. Oh, wow. For whom? Spurs? Did he win anything? No. No, yeah, well. <laughs> I think he yeah, got a yeah. League
0: Cup. Spurs um, like, for you. Right, yeah. But anyway, um, this isn't uh, a, a, a slot about Jeremy Janus. It's um, it's Group B, and uh, should we get there? Uh, it's, it's England. It's the. Is is was it the Islamic Republic of Iran? Is that the official title? And USA. What do we think? I mean, the the obvious one is oh, go to them.
2: Yeah, my first note just says FML. (laughs) (laughs) FML (laughs) I mean, I I kind of imagine that like ninety nine point nine percent, if there are that many um, of uh, Pocas Peldroid listeners, are well, so they don't need it explaining. But I had to explain to my to some of my English friends, again, why Wales didn't want that. Like as soon as it came through, a friend of mine who's very knowledgeable about football that even um, hosts a kind of a sports business podcast was saying like, oh, you must be thrilled with that draw. And it's like, no, I explained this six years ago. <laughs> this is not the draw we wanted at all. And then it's, you have to explain it again. And it's just, it's, you just want something different, don't you? I heard Ellis James saying the other day, oh, I hope we draw an African or South American team. And it's like, mm, got neither in the end. I suppose Iran's different-ish, but Iran's not very exotic because they're a very dull football team. No offense to them, they're very good at it. But um, and we've played USA fairly recently, so and obviously the the other teams. So it's it is a very disappointing draw from a fan perspective.
1: I think I agree nearly completely with that. I, it's, it's so frustrating to get England again, but in terms of a objectively sort of results chance of progression sort of angle. You know, you'd look at getting USA and Iran and think, win those two, and you progress. And there aren't many other groups where you look at the teams we could have got and thought that would have been easier. In most cases, they would have it would have been harder. And although we have played USA recently, and maybe Iran's not exactly a glamour fixture, we've never played competitive against these teams, have we? You know, this is, uh, or certainly not in the last sort of 70, 80 years. So, competitive internationals against teams from North America and Asia is still a bit of a yeah, you know, watershed true. moment, isn't it? So I think, you know, yeah, all right, England, can't believe it. But there is something to be excited about, albeit, with, as Russ says, the biggest of massive asterisks is next to if we qualify.
2: It's kind of a question of how often you have to mention it because any time, like, I mean, I got one on Twitter that someone saying like, oh, you haven't even got there yet. And it's like, I, I've put, after pretty much every tweet, if we qualify, but if you miss one, there's there's people just waiting in the bushes to point out that we haven't got there yet and may not get there.
0: Maybe IWQ needs to become part of like the Twitter sort of lexicon, and it's just dropped into everything. <laughs> no, I agree with that, Gaz. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm with you there. I think yeah, yeah. Maybe is it is it as exotic as we would like? Well, you know, maybe not, but. They're still, countries as you say, that we've never played competitively, we've only played them three times in total between them. Um, Iran is 78 out there, um, Lakefield Dwyer scored on his debut, and the USA just in those two friendlies, San Jose, and then last was it last year or the year before in in that goalless draw? So, Brennan Johnson's debut. So, it's, it's they are nice countries to be playing, I think, in terms of that global kind of you know um, platform and the stage, you know. Um, and they're two very populous nations, aren't they, as well? So
2: we're the only team in that group that's not kind of politically well God we are actually, yeah. Bloody hell, what a group. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if it comes to pass that we knock out Ukraine then I think then we we, we definitely we definitely go with some baggage. Um oh, yeah. everyone will dislike us again like they did when we faced Denmark in the Euros, because uh, of the, the Ericsson affair. But um uh, the Ericsson affair, that sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? Um
1: during um <laughs> during their qualification campaign, would anyone like to have a guess at how many goals Iran scored in two games against Oof. Cambodia?
0: Um in two games against them. Uh, <laughs> eighteen.
2: Oh, yeah, I... Well hang on, I know they won one of them like ten nil. Oh, I think you might be right. I'll go seventeen.
1: Leon, can I I'll go sixteen. Oh come um, on, one. I'm screwed 12. now. 16 You're all miles off so none of you can take any credit from it anyway it was 24 14-0 <laughs> <and 10-0. laughs> oh. uh, 14 nil and 10 mil 14. although not um having said that i was kind of looking at it earlier and they those massive wins but they they have this kind of uh state different stages of asian qualification that was in like the round two where they come into it and actually they started pretty poorly they lost a game to iraq they lost a game to bahrain but in that then the more recent sort of round three stage, where they've got a group of, I think it's maybe six six teams in their group. They got a really good record there, and they won their group, you know, ahead of South Korea. The only points they dropped were against South Korea in that group. So that, that was know, they seem to have got be- well. better in the last couple of years. Oh, was there? So yeah, I think they know, maybe, maybe really they're not. Maybe they're not dreadful. No, they
0: twenty-first um, in the world. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and then there was a certain. I saw one of the, the red tops uh, in the petrol station the other morning. Uh, oh, And to minnows, and I just thought, oh, they started again. I, I think they're one of those teams that are going to, you know, they're not going to get beat sort of three and four. They, they might snatch a draw against somebody in the group. It, I, it feels to me a group that might be very similar, actually, to the last two groups we've had in the Euros. I think there's points to be taken off everybody, maybe. Notwithstanding England are, you know, are a good side. They're a good tournament side. They turned
3: in probably be a lot of Iranians in Qatar for in the stadium. I, mean, I can imagine probably if we qualified, there won't be a huge numbers of Welsh going, but Iran is not so far from Qatar, is it? And as an Arab country, I suppose, the locals would probably support them. So that's something that's sort of, bear in mind, that might sort of be, uh, make it a bit harder for, for, for us. I mean, the simplest um, thing is to arrange
0: a friendly against Cambodia and then just compare our score <laughs> with their scores so that when we only beat them 3-1 <laughs> they take a 1-0 lead then we can all start stressing out and page out hashtags can raise their head again
3: I would have preferred to play a South American side and a an African side as well and we were, we were always going to get another European team and I would rather it have not been England obviously or Belgium but having said that I think USA is an interesting one in that we've talked ever since euros in france about how success in football is sort of putting Wales in, on the map and um you know playing usa at world cup that's going to have huge viewing figures you know there's going to be a lot of kind of interest in wales if you know people people are kind of really kind of interested in this sort of thing about you know people people in the usa will know about wales because we of us playing them in the, in the the World Cup, you know, soccer, as they would call it, is not one of their big sports on a sort of week-in, week-out basis. But the World Cup is huge in, in America. They, you know, gets massive viewing figures. That, um, so that's going to be kind of interesting from, a, from our point of view, like little old Wales up against the USA. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. But in addition to that, you know, Canada have qualified as well. So this is Canada's second World Cup, 86 being the first so, you know, Canada have qualified well as well. I mean, they qualified, uh, I think, earlier than the United States. So either this is a really, really, really strong, relatively speaking, Canadian side, or maybe maybe there's a slightly reordering of the of the strengths there in, in, in the traditional nations in, in, in CONCACAF. And maybe it reflects maybe America aren't quite as strong as they have been. I don't know. It'd be, it, it, that, that's an interesting dynamic as well, the way the Canadians are qualified, which then gives it a bit more of a pan-North American flavor to it. In terms of uh, you know the the, the the audience as well,
1: it appears to be a you know a relatively weak USA team. I mean, I can remember World Cups where they've actually been able to put together a pretty good team, but you're right, Canada topped that qualification group. Yeah. USA only sort of snuck in in third. They lost to Costa Rica in their last game of the sort of qualification campaign. They've got pretty unspectacular results against some other teams, narrow wins against like El Salvador, draw with Jamaica. Lost uh, in Canada, true at home to Canada. You know they're not even by North American standards a powerhouse. I don't think at the moment. You know who knows uh, in six months' time. And and there's nothing to be feared, though. I think the way uh, the way things are shaping up at the moment.
2: You
0: know? Yeah, I agree. I think it could have been a, a worse draw. Looking at it, that Spain Germany group this is the one that jumps out. Or well, we couldn't have no, that, well, no, of course, yeah. But Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon, that looks a strong group. Um, you mentioned Costa Rica, though. They've, they've still got to face New Zealand in an intercontinental playoff. So there's the three slashes here. So is it United Arab Emirates or Australia, then going to play Peru? Is yeah. well, that how it works, isn't
2: it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. That's why Peru got shafted, because they would have been in Group A uh, with Qatar, but they could lose, and therefore they weren't allowed to face Qatar and so on, so it was very... Really, um, Labyrinthine. I just realised that um, if Wales qualify, the game against Iran is at one o'clock local time. Yeah, yeah. So it's also a heat of the middle of. I know it's November and everything, but like middle of the heat of the day, and ten o'clock our time yeah, in the yeah. morning.
0: And of course, because the domestic league doesn't end until quite close to the tournament starting, there's probably only a limited amount of time to acclimatise as well.
2: Yeah, nine days, I
0: think. The number of reasons why this is a horrible World Cup just continue to escalate, don't they? But um, Mm. it is what it is. Um, So, yeah, uh, anything else to say on the World Cup draw?
2: I wonder if it's a good thing that we're playing England last, if we qualify. Um, Kind of bad in a way that it's hanging over us. As a fan, it kind of feels bad because it's hanging over us. But I think the players might not mind it because they might just I think they probably stay hyper-focused on each game. That certainly seemed to be what they did in 2016. So mm-hmm. if they just focus fully on the USA game and then fully on the um, Iran game, sorry, the um, yeah, the USA game and the Iran game, and then just try and get it done before you face England, or alternatively, you just have a sense of dread and we go into it needing a point. Yeah, I'd rather it was last than first, yeah. I think.
3: Yeah, same. I think the USA game first is how, you know, you'd, you'd want it if you were to pick the order, I think the USA first, Iran second, England third, is, is what I would choose. Yeah. yeah.
0: But we've got to get there first. So, um, as things stand, still sometime in, in June, uh, there was an interesting quote from a player. So it was in the article, um, yeah, I carried it, I saw it, I think it's been picked up elsewhere, the Dynamo Kiev coach has said, uh, or Dino Kiev coach um, suggested that Ukraine be given a, uh, uh, you know, just a place at the table and, and scrap the playoff games. So ultimately, at our expense, <clears throat> which obviously causes the ire of uh, of of us as fans, and no doubt the Scots. Um, but within the same piece, there was a a, a Keith player talking about how he felt that you know they will still play because they still want to do the country proud, etc. But that actually they'll probably go into a June playoff, the playoffs, lacking fitness, lacking match fitness because of, of so few games. And I wondered about that on a previous episode. To hear it quoted, you know, by from a player. Uh, Ukrainian player, I thought was, was was interesting. But like you said earlier, Hugh, it's, it's potentially a lot of games in June for us. So
3: I would say Scotland are probably big favourites for that game, considering everything really, and that they're they're at home and they're yeah I agree they're confident. I've, I've kind of yeah yeah I don't know. You know, obviously Ukraine are pretty strong to have made it to a playoff, but uh, you know Scotland have uh, they'll Scotland are desperate to be at World Cup too because it's been twenty four years since their last one, so I don't know what the odds are, but I would make them big favourites.
0: Very quickly, Leon, um, Fallout in Austria, how's how it kind of panned out over there since the Wales-Austria game? Because Fodas full on his sword, isn't Yeah,
3: he? yeah. Fodor f- said before the Scotland friendly that he was going to go, which wasn't a surprise at all. They had a crowd of about 6,000 in Vienna in, a, in, the, in the Tappelstadion, which is 50,000 capacity and half of those were Scots. So, you know, if, if most Scotland fans would have gone over, it would, would have been 3,000 watching a, an Austria game, which would have been one of their lowest ever crowds. There's a lot of apathy. I said at the time, you know, I, there wasn't a huge amount of expectation that they were going to come and beat us, really. There was it was more just um, hope. Foda's not been popular. He's not, you know, didn't really get the team playing very much exciting football. People didn't like that, you know, he was picking... The, Alaba, the best player at left back, where you know he couldn't really influence the game as much as he could when he played in midfield. So there's a sense of sort of good riddance to him. And uh, yeah, there's, I heard a rumour that they're thinking of asking Herbert Prohaska to uh, become the manager again. He's probably Austria, well, one of Austria's greatest ever players, and uh, was manager before, and I think took them to a World Cup in ninety eight which was their last World Cup, same as Scotland. But um yeah, I'll keep you posted if you if you're interested.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well I mean they seem to not like him very much, so maybe uh, we did them a favour. So um uh, you're welcome Austrian fans uh, ok gents uh, any other final points the only game left of this sort of window is the women's game at Llell Wales against France We're going to be chatting to Hayley from Fee Wales in advance that game we'll go into that one in a bit more depth on that but uh, until then and until next time thank you all for your time and uh, see you on the next one
3: yeah till. cheers, cheers.